Next Chapter Podcast. The 500. The 500. J.A.M. been walking us down through that 2012 edition, so it ain't nothing to new. Hundreds more to go and in need of a friend. The king of peace for Angelo. Talking the 500 until the end. Talking the 500 until the end. With my man J.M. On the 500. Talking the 500 until the end. Love is the drug. I don't think there has ever been a more true statement on any of the records we've ever done. Love will make you stand outside of a girl's house blaring Peter Gabriel like John Cusack. And that's like on the low end of the scale. But the song called Love is a Drug. It's by Roxy Music from the 1975 record Siren. I think that's our second Roxy Music record so far. It's also number 374 out of 500000 on the 500 with Josh Adam Myers. What is up, please, Army? It is the morning. I'm drinking coffee. I am feeling good. Got one dose of the Pfizer. About to get another one on Monday. I hope you guys are all safe, man. I hope everybody's got unemployment or you got a job or, you know, you got a rich sugar daddy or whatever you got, man. Just keep on keeping on. What is new? Oh, guys, I have got a huge list of shows. I don't know why I call it huge. I got a list of shows I'll be doing. I'm going to be headlining all over the country. It's a mini tour, probably about six, seven headlining dates. I'll be adding them to my website, joshadammyers.com. We got Edmonton, we got Vancouver, we got St. Louis, we got Columbus, Ohio, we've got Washington, D.C., we've got Baltimore. We're going to get some crab in Baltimore, I'll tell you that much. Big shout out to Ryan Sickler. I think I'm still high from last night. Have you been watching the podcast? Because we got two great ways to do it. Every Wednesday, we publish full episodes to Patreon for the 500 Club members paying $5 or more a month, and we appreciate it. So if you are in the Fleece Army or want to be in the Fleece Army and want a ranking, go to patreon.com backslash the 500 podcast. Support the show. We are doing some cool stuff for you on that end. We're doing an AMA in two weeks where you can ask me anything, but you got to sign up for the Patreon. And if you don't want to sign up for it, guys, and you still want to watch the videos every Thursday on our YouTube. All right. Roxy Music Siren. This is our second one on the list. And, you know, I, th- I think that I'm a fan now. You know, it's they're not, the, they're not the easiest band to absorb right off the jump. That's, you know, sometimes we get these records and the first time we put it on, we're like, yeah, this is it. This is, this is what I'm doing. This is my vibe. This is what I'm feeling in this moment. And then other times you're like, this is going to take about four or five listens. I don't even know if you guys are doing four or five listens. I do. At least. But this one clicked. 
And this, I think, is the one that made me a fan of the record. And the guy that I have on today, let me tell you something. You know, we've been doing this for so long, and we've had so many cool people. And when we booked this dude, I was super excited because I'm such a fan of Jane's Addiction. And yeah, man, we have the drummer for... I mean, so many great bands. Jane's Addiction, Porno for Pyros. The guys worked with Rage Against the Machine, Nine Inch Nails, Red Hot Chili Peppers. So incredible artists. The one and only Stephen Perkins. Stephen is a gem of a human being. And I can't tell you how much fun this recording was. I think it shows. So just, just listen. Rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe to The 500 and listen free on all platforms. And if you're listening on Apple, leave a five-star rating and a review. Come on. Tell people. Josh is not a music critic. But man, is he a fun dude. Follow me at Josh Adam Myers on all social media and go to my website, joshadammyers.com, for all things jam. Email the podcast at 500podcasts at gmail.com. You can send a letter to us. You can tell us you hate us. I don't really care. Follow the Facebook group, The 500 Podcast with Jam, run by Kevin. And for all things 500, go to the website, 500podcast.com. Well, nothing left to say, but here we go with 374 with Siren by Roxanne Music. Sup, Fleece Army. All right, before we get into the podcast, I want to tell you about our sponsor, Sunset Lake CBD. You guys hear from so many people that say they are working with the best CBD company. I have said to JT, I only want to work with advertisers that I would use myself, and Sunset Lake CBD sent me a cornucopia of their product to make sure that I understood how dope they were. And let me tell you, Fleece Army or Cadougals, Cadugas Boogles for some of you. So just a little bit about Sunset Lake CBD. They are a farmer-owned business that ships CBD products directly from their farm to your dough. To your dough. So for Sunset Lake CBD, they started off as a dairy farm in Vermont producing milk for Ben and Jerry's ice cream. In 2018, they diversified and started growing hemp for CBD. And let me tell you, they do have a product for all of you. So they offer pre-rolls that are fantastic. You smoke them, you don't get stoned, you get comfy. They have hemp cigars. They got hemp flour. That shit is incredible. They've got tinctures, which I take and I give to my dog. It's good for my dog's joints, her bones, her, her overall mental health. If that's even a thing. But all I know is that Lekka, since I started giving Lekka the, the juice... It's like she's a better dog. Sunset Lake CBD saves you money by shipping high-quality CBD products directly from their farm to your door. And we're going to give you 20% off all products using code JAM500. So go to sunsetlakecbd.com. Use code JAM500 for 20% off all products. One more time, sunsetlakecbd.com. Use promo code JAM500 for 20% off all products. Now back to the Doogly Spoogly. Oh, 
watched like David Bowie and Arcade Fire sing Wake Up together three days ago, and now I'm like obsessed with Arcade Fire. Again, like they're just, I love any band that has like 22 people on stage, except for Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros. That's, he's probably a nice guy, but that song Home, do you know the song Home? Rockin' doodle, skeevil, dang, everything is country slang, jibber jabber, I got some mail. It's just, it's really fun to make that song up. You can just say gibberish and then just have a sentence at the end. <laughs> just had a conversation about, about how Bowie, you know, the, the great ever-changing metamorphosis of these instruments around these great players and vice versa. And uh, I just love the fact that if you get the right people around you, they can guide you into a new direction and you still have your soul. They don't take it from you. Sure. So like a tin machine and hunt sales on drums came from lust for life. And, and then of course, you know what Bowie did for raw power. It's just a small little circle of crazy, cool people. And if you get them on stage together, it's, Dude, it's the now. same thing with comics, because if, if you, you would like, like I go to New York a lot to hang out with all these brilliant minds that are my homies because it's like being around funnier people, yeah. just like they'll tag your jokes. They'll make you funnier because you want to make them laugh. And it's just, it's always like, when you get around creative people, man? Yeah. It's like, it's like, I don't know how you can be like a creative person and live in like Alaska or like the middle of fucking nowhere where it's like, you're on a farm. Like anybody that comes out of that and makes it, I mean, they must be like a savant. They're, yeah, they're, touched, they're, they're they've been well touched in the right way. Exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I had to say that in 2021. Um, all right, so let's dive into this. So, so, uh, so Roxy Music. So, uh, tell me about your story with Roxy Music. When did you first hear them and, and catch us up to today? Well, I'm 53 years old, and the first you look three, great. I feel great. <laughs> Jesus. The first uh, three or four records with Brian Eno was, to me, uh, layers, like an onion. You can keep listening and finding new things about it. And it's not just the outer layer. And it's not the way you heard it the first time. It's the way you hear it over and over. Yeah. And that's what turned me on at first. And I know Brian split before Siren, but they used Chris Thomas as a producer, I think, prior to Siren. And what Chris was doing with the Pretenders and the Pistols and Paul McCartney, you can hear him capture the noise of a band. And he didn't produce them and change them. He just had them rehearse a lot and work on the tracks over and over to get the tracks right. And to grab the the essence of the people in the band. That's what I love about Roxy Music. You can hear personalities. And usually that's what gets me into a band it's the song, it's the lyrics, but it's also hearing who these people are. I never got to meet them, but you get to know them through their music. And, you know, Brian being like a this romantic crooner, but always kind of a cynic about love. And uh, and the, the saxophone and the raw drums and a little bit of that Jamaican influence I hear. Yeah. Which Amer- American bands never were great at grasping that. But when you talk about UK with, with madness, and the specials, and of course the Clash. Police. And, you know, the police, you hear that Jamaican African influence and they never ignored it. You know, even heard a little bit with the Pretenders first record. Yeah. And I always thought to myself, what did Chris Thomas actually talk to Jane's Addiction in the early days? We, we were talking about having him get involved with us. We did our own thing and it came out perfect. 
but we talked to Roy Thomas Baker and Chris Thomas and some of the UK cats because we loved the music that was coming out of there. And we loved hearing those personalities on those records. Yeah. You know, that to me, and of course, when Brian Eno started doing his solo stuff and all of them made a solo record, I think during the siren time, they were all kind of spreading out. And I think Andy was working on a TV show, the, the Rock Follies, writing music for that, for the BBC show. So they were all kind of exploring their own personalities by the time they got to Siren. And I think there was a little bit of friction and that friction does make a great record. Yeah. That's really, you know, pre-Siren, there was this experimental, um, like I say, the onion, the layers I would check out. And when Siren happened, it seemed like there were songs and songs you can, you, you not only get the personalities of these musicians, of course the record cover and and she's there on lava rocks and I, it just seemed very tasty i need to listen to this and yeah you know, there's something great about of course holding an album and looking at the cover and reading the liner notes and getting to know the band through that way the songs the lyrics the artwork who recorded it who produced it where it was recorded i think they did a siren at air and i always thought i want to record it air I want to record where the, 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 the sound sounds, it, it's layered, but it's right in your face. And as an older musician now, I understand when you play music, you have to think about the mix. Where's the cymbal going to sit? Where's the yeah. low end going to sit? How does the vocal sit right in the middle? And who's going to mix it? And who's going to master it? So there, it was a real experience as a young musician to hear Roxy Music as this UK British rock band with a, in a sense of African and Jamaican, even though they weren't in any way reggae, but yeah. they used that understanding of how to place that pulse in a song. Sure. And, and it was, and it was, um, and they all had their own, each song was separate from the last one. And, you know, a lot of bands, the whole record sounded the same, but Roxy Music, each song was different. And I love that about British rock and roll music because Jane's Addiction was great at that too, because Perry would write these poems. They weren't lyrics in my idea. They were poems. They didn't say verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus out. One line was five words. One line was seven words. One line was two words. So how do you write music around that? And I would recognize that in Roxy Music, how these, uh, I mean, I heard the lyrics actually came later. The songs were written musically, then the lyrics, but I wasn't there. But here are these incredible poems and these stories that would pull you in and these soundscapes. And when Brian Eno did Tiger Mountain and I heard his record, I can still listen to that today and, and go on a journey. So when, when Siren happened and Eno wasn't there, and then they had a hit. They had Love is a Drug became a hit. And it was like, this is actually something, it's a single. And I, you know, they came to America. I was too young to go watch it, but they were all kind of separating in solo careers and, and Andy was doing his TV movement. But when they came together for that record, it was really a, a great accomplishment of art, visual art, lyrics, the, the sadness of that romantic crooning and, and, the, and the instrumentation. And, and of course, Chris Thomas bringing it together. You hear it on the first Pretenders record. It's a sonic experience. And the songs are great, but it's also the way they present it. And yeah. I always think a great producer will go to a rehearsal room and listen to them play and say, how do I capture that sound and put it on a record? 
opposed to getting a producer that says, this is the drum set I use, that's the studio I use, these are the amps I use, and I use it on every record. And the records start to sound the same. Chris Thomas was great at capturing the band. And there was that, it was danceable, there was a pulse to it with Roxy Music, but there was stories behind the lyrics. And that was intriguing to me as a young player. Yeah. And it wasn't about fireworks and big events. And I love that with with rock and roll drumming. I love looking for those big events. You mentioned the police. You know, I guess Sting wrote some great songs, but without Stuart Copeland, there's no emergency. There's no yeah, urgency. Dude. Yeah, there's no, dude. no event, you know, it's 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 a good song. And so with Roxy Music, they had all these great players, but they wouldn't stick out in any in any sense. They would uh, really become a unit, and there's a lot of unity. And that was uh, like, and, and it doesn't sound like Super Tramp or Pink Floyd, but I always hear that with those bands. They no one stuck out as something special. It was the presentation of the whole sound. Yeah, you know. Not to, I gotta go back for one thing because two things. One, when you called yourself an older musician, you realize that like Keith Richards is 140 years old, dude, and he's still doing it. You are not old yet, bro. So That's get true. that, throw that in the trash. Um, secondly, like, so this is my second, this is my second uh, Roxy Music record. Uh, Morty, what was the first one we did? We did, uh, oh, well, for your pleasure. For your pleasure. That's the last, you know. And then we've done, and then we've done two Brian Eno solo records. Um, I wonder, and Morty, I don't know if you have this in the intro, but I wonder if they still use the ob the obligatory cards. Is that no, what they're called? Oblique strategies weren't invented yet. Eno didn't work with them yet. He invented no. them in his production. Oh, yeah. because you know, but that's such a that's such an interesting way to write. For me, I was actually shocked when I found out that Brian Eno wasn't on this record because it still sounds like they you know left his influence on Roxy. But and I don't know if you I don't know if you agree with me, Stephen. Is that this is probably out of out of for your pleasure? This is like a way more like this is almost like a a pop record to an extent. It's danceable. It's Absolutely. upbeat. Dude, like this is the truth. Before we dive into the intro, uh, dude, I was listening to another record. I was listening to Arctic Monkeys to get ready for another podcast, and I had, uh, I had like five albums on one playlist that I had saved on Spotify, so I could, you know, save it to the phone. And with the one record, the Arctic Monkeys record ended, and it switched over. And I thought it just went to some random British band that maybe was out the same time as the Arctic Monkeys. And Love Is a Drug came on, and I was like, "Who the fuck is this? This shit slaps!" And then I found out it was Roxy, and I couldn't have been more excited to dive into this record because that's cool. Dude, well, That's dude, cool to be yeah. surprised, still be surprised by music and the and the, the sonics and what it does to you. Yes, and oh, you know, it's it's such a it's a sad case when there is no artwork to hold and the music comes out of your phone. I love having a nice speaker system and a piece of art to look at and lyrics yeah. to read and take that experience. Maybe you don't listen to the for you know the thirty eight minutes or the forty five minutes, and it's a song at a time. But I love the record when it's presented even side by side. You know, side A is an experience separate than side B. And when CDs happened, it would just flow all the way through. And then when streaming happened, it was a song at a time and you lose that experience. But Roxy Music would present this experience and Love is a Drug is the first song on the record. And there's like almost sound effects. Like you feel like you're in the in their world. You're, you're, you're brought into their world, into a dance floor, into a club, into a, a, a 
a, you know, a black taxi, those big English taxis they yeah. have. And you fucking taste it. You feel right it. Oh, governor, where am I taking you to? Know. By the way, do you want to buy some Charlie? Because I'm I'm dealing that on the side. Hello, governor. Want to hear some of that brilliant fairy music? All right. I got some Roxy music for you right now. Have some wine gums. Now, you know, with the fairy's voice, it's, it's, it, it, like how many crooners are in rock and roll? There's not too many. many. He's one of the great, and he wraps you up. And it's like a nice breeze. You can be a hundred pounds overweight or you can be anorexic, but the breeze caresses the size of your body. Ooh, I love that. It doesn't matter what size you are, how tall or short. It, the breeze will accompany you. And I feel that with their music and it's an emotional experience and, and it's a magnet and people are drawn to this emotion. Why does a song break barriers? And why does a song that's big in the UK get big, in Canada and also in America. And then you go to Mexico and you hear it there. And it's, why does that happen? It's the way it feels. Yeah. And, you know, as a drummer, people always talk about what's the most important chops, uh, you know, the fireworks, it's the feel. And when you yes. get a chance the to feel. play reggae band, I, the drummer from Steel Pulse passed away. So about two years ago, the Pulse came to LA and we had 10 different drummers play 10 different songs. And you really got to hear everyone's feel and everybody, no one felt like the guy from Steel Pulse who just passed away, but everyone had their own feel, but none of us were from the UK or Jamaica. We're all LA drummers. And it then did not, not that it didn't feel right, but it felt different. Yeah. It was a real challenge for me to like take a breath. And I stepped into the, the song taxi driver. And at the very end, it pulses up like a good old rock and roll tune. But most of the first three or four minutes is way back there. And I would think about the bass player. He'd be on one, two. I would still think one. I wanted to be behind the beat. So if he was on three, I was still thinking two. <laughs> you know, I just, just barely right behind him. And I think if you, if you think about Bonham, you know, Zeppelin always had energy, but the drums were just a little bit farther back. And so if you, if you count one, two, three, four, there's a lot of space between those words. One. So do you think about one with the letter O or do you think about one with the letter E? And I think about Bonham. He thought of one and he always thought of one. And then the E, he thought of the very edge of one. And yeah. if with two, the very edge of two. And he would think of these words and they'd be big and long. One, two. I could be crazy. <laughs> I might be crazy. But, you know, you could chop it up like a Satoshi of a Bitcoin. There's a million of them in one coin. You could yeah. chop it up, you know. Yeah. So you could chop up these beats and really figure out the feel. And, and Roxy music feels good. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, that's a whole other issue of like what the song's about, what the production is. Is it a saxophone? Is it a keyboard? Is it a voice? But it felt good. And I think that's what really made me aware of the power of Roxy music. And then to like get in there and then discover the personalities, like I was saying earlier, that's exciting to get to know the musicians, though I never met them. You get to know them because of the way you they play. Them. Yeah, you, and, know them. you know, I never met Keith Moon, but you know, he's he's a maniac because of the way yes. he plays drums. You, know? you can you can you can taste the scotch uh in the music <laughs> it's like you can taste it it's now, so when good I close my eyes and i hear keith moon i think of a guy playing timpani drums 
and two cymbals in his hand, like a like an orchestra. Yeah. Boom, 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 boom. Big event. <laughs> I don't think of a drum set, and I see him playing a drum set, but I hear an orchestral orchestral drummer. And when I think about Roxy Music, I do think about this ensemble, guys that listen to each other and that are presenting a, a, a picture for the listener, this visual cinematic picture that tells a story. And Brian was never, in a sense, in your face, but you the, the mix, his voices were always right in your face, but his, his, his attack was never, he was laid back. And that, that that's such a great little, you know, charm for a band to have. Very charming, yes. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of the Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts. And new episodes come out every Monday. Well, hey, friends. My name is Zach Lupiton. You may know me from the band Dust Bowl Revival, but I also host a music discovery podcast called The Show on the Road. For the last five seasons, I've been able to dive deep and have intimate chats with folks like the Lumineers, Andy DeFranco, Wolfpack, Keb Moe, Lake Street Dive, Bela Fleck, and more. So guess what? After 150 conversations with some of my favorite songwriters from around the world, we are bringing brand new episodes to the Osiris Network. New interviews and intimate acoustic performances will be coming at you this summer. And which episodes are coming next, you ask? I am Zach Goody, the lead singer for the band Smash Mouth. Our band is called Milky Chance. We are based in Berlin. My name is David Shaw. I sing and write songs with my band, The Revivalists. Trust me, these conversations go some wild places. So subscribe to the show on the road on Osiris, and we'll see you soon. I, I got to give a shout out right now. Morty and JT know him, but there's a drummer in my band, Nick Liberator. Uh, we, we always talked about, cause I'm friends with Bill Burr and he's a drummer and when he did the show and, and, you know, his chops aren't as good as like, you know, as Nick's cause Nick's a professional drummer. That's what he does. But we were talking about it after the first time we jammed with Burr and, and Nick goes, he's like, dude, he's got the feel and that's all that matters. And I was like, there it is. And that's in everything, dude, you could be a comic. You can be an actor. If you can feel it, you might not be technical. Like I don't know, like Brando, you probably technical, but what he had was the feel. He felt well, you know, it. There's the, my search of rhythm goes deep into the comedian and the actor, the timing that yeah. it takes to tell a joke right and to feel it when it should pull and not. And the drummer's got the same job. And there's a rhythm in everything. The guy that rolls the cigars in Cuba, and the guy that, that sets the lights in Bali for the traffic, 
you know, he's messing with people because he just wants to have a good time. Yeah. But there's rhythm to all that. And I, I played a party with Bill and Bill played Highway to Hell. Oh, he, that, that was, dude, that was where Slash <laughs> and Slash and Duff and uh, and the guy from fuck Apocalypta. I can't think of his name. That really great singer where. Yeah, yeah. He, yeah, so yeah, we I, I fuck I I have a video clip of him telling that story, uh, and it's it's one of the funniest things because he had no idea that he was going to be jamming with Duff and Slash. Great, Kushner set him up, and then they walked out, and he was like, he was like, he's like, I'm sitting behind the drum set, and it was like two trees came to life. Like I couldn't, <laughs> like I was just the the way I looked to the audience must have been in complete and utter shock and awe. But well, you know, I, I love that you were there, dude. I fucking I, love you that know, you were there. I love the fact that the 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 drummer never. I mean, yeah, we use mallets and we use brushes, but we don't paint. We're like a hammer and a nail. Yeah. You walk into a silent room and you puncture the sound as a drummer. You have to be confident to puncture the sound, or there's no punch. And it's like putting in a, a nail in a wall to hang a a picture. You know when it goes in right that one stroke and you don't have to, you know, hit it again or the nail goes in sideways or you hang the picture and it's too high, too low. You got to pull it out leave a hole, <laughs> yeah. you know? No, that's not drumming. Drumming is knowing where the hole is or where the height is hitting it and goes in right. Yeah. And Bill's got that. And uh, the great drummers, I think usually have this, this confidence to break silence with, with this, with piercing the silence with a drumstick and a cymbal or a bass drum or snare drum. And, you know, growing up, I started on pillows and I had to learn how to bounce off a pillow and it was a quiet experience. Then I got a snare drum. I had to learn how to bounce off a, a tight head and it was a loud experience. And then I got a drum set. I had to learn how to use my hips and my ankles and figure out the difference between the bass drum tone and the cymbal and the snare. And those all had different surfaces. And then you have to listen to other musicians and take all that and put it away and listen to what the guys are doing. And then the lyrics, what is he singing about? And then when does he throw the words in? The words are almost like a percussion player. He's, he's you know, phrasing that, 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 that. And you yeah. have to listen to that. So the drummer's got this great responsibility to learn about the volume and the dynamics, how to punch the sound and brush it and then through all that listen so you don't step on anybody for sure <laughs> dude it's incredible all right we I, I forget i forgot we have a we have a, a podcast to do i could have just talked to you about just this for the jump all right morty you want to you want to catch us up to this record dude absolutely and by the way perry did another green world on here and so Great. oh yeah he yeah. did perry yeah. did perry did brian eno another green yeah. world and we had water yeah. on here also. So yeah, you're, we're getting all you guys. <laughs> we're going to, this is your life, Stephen Burke. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> all right. You so recognize Rab Wait, I recognize Rabbi Zeldin. He is, there he comes. <laughs> there he goes. Stephen S. Weiss, shout out. Right off the 405. So released on October 24th, 1975 on Island and Atco Records, produced by Chris Thomas. This is the fourth album by the British glam rock art pop rock band. Okay, I'm going to break this down. We've already done one of their albums. We did it with John Taylor for, for your pleasure. So Great. he's already, so we already, if you guys want to listen to that episode, you'll get, uh, you'll catch all the, the earlier part of it. So we already know Eno is already out of the band. This is the second record without him. He's basically replaced by Eddie Jobson, who also played electric fiddle or electric violin, 
and was more of a contemporary, more of a traditional keyboard player. You can call it a fiddle. Fiddle and violin are the yeah, same thing. People knew what you, you were know. talking about. People knew. Right. Yeah, Gibby <laughs> Haynes said that once and offended Lily Hayden. All right. Um, so uh, so it left Brian so he could be the front man. So Eddie took over keyboards. Prior to that, Eddie, uh, Brian Ferry was also playing keyboards and singing. So on this album, uh, we saw, uh, or rather, sorry, the last album, Country Life, had Andy McKay, who's the multi-instrumentalist and the guitarist, Phil Manzanera, joined various uh, co-songwriters. The bands rounded out on the record by drummer Paul Thompson, fucking amazing, and bassist John Gustafson, who was, although he was in the band, technically not in the band, he was just on the albums. And for this album, Jobson actually got a songwriting credit. For this one as well. They all realized they could make money on it by this point. And so Brian wasn't the only one. Only seven months after the release of their third album, Country Life, they recorded this in London during the summer of 75 with Chris Thomas, who had done all three previous albums. It would be their fourth in two and a half years. And wow. as early records, yeah, they they were they they're were churning them out, dude. Fairy Fairy wants that wants that dough. And Fairy was doing solo stuff in between cover records, so he didn't stop. So uh this is uh, while those were much more experimental, they had more challenging and stuff. This is actually way more accessible and commercial than anything they'd done at, than anything they'd done up until that point. Subject matter was still basically between heartbreak and getting hooked back into heartbreak and all of that. And Ferry's lingering preoccupation with faded, faded, and faded. You'll be able to read that later. They it appeared right as the phenomenon of disco music was luring people to discotheques, single bars, and inevitable love hangovers and you know, capturing the spirit of that moment. So the band continued to be aware of Brian's aspirational ascendancy to fame and fortune with or without them. So although this record was a smash in the UK, it brought them their biggest, biggest success in America, which also gave them the first headlining tour. They ended up taking a four year break right after this so they could pursue solo projects. Uh, they essentially broke up. So Brian's career kind of fizzled and the band came back more refined and, you know, critically and commercially acclaimed although each record they would dwindle down one member until it was essentially like down to like two or three of them <laughs> it's until it's just fairy <laughs> yeah well yeah it's just coming through uh and although they got that uh, they were inactive for like 20 years they got back together intermitt- intermittently in 2001 for some tours and in 2005 they attempted a reunion album that became a, a 2010 brian solo project and in 2019, we're inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame by Duran Duran, Simon LeBond, and our past guest, John Taylor. Oh, JT. Man, is he? Have you ever seen him in person, Stephen? Because that dude is That's dreamy. That's a good-looking fella. That is, I, dude, I couldn't even talk. I was like, uh, like, I've never had these thoughts before. <laughs> the dance into the fire. It's a beautiful I was I was talking to my eleven year old and was explaining to him what MTV did and didn't do for music, and I said, "If you were easy on the eyes, it, it, you, you got pretty big pretty quick." And yes, you did. That, it really didn't matter. And I would I could sit on a plane with the guys in Pink Floyd or Supertramp and not even know who I'm sitting next to because <laughs> they, they, never, they never took pictures. You know, yeah, dude, dude, Duran, 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 Duran could fart into the microphone and it would have been a top ten hit, dude. They were made for MTV. And then, and then you had you know some of the the problems with MTV is someone like Winger, you know. And oh yeah, so, dude. You know, he, easy on the eyes, and he did ballet, but there was nothing. To, 
there's no there's no onion there there's no layer i just want to stop right here if this is we've been doing this podcast for over two and a half years and this is our first winger reference and i mean <laughs> this just deserves a huge round of applause i mean she's only 17 is is literally pedophilia <laughs> it's well we was, it's true and you know what's crazy he had the dixie dreads drummer rod morgenstein one of this great drummers progressive rock drummers but you know when you want to get paid you know join winger i mean there's nothing <laughs> wrong with that and one of us uh, <laughs> exactly. all right but, all right but, um, but it's true because if you think about the the presentation that roxy did on stage and even brian as a solo tour and uh, there was a sense that you were coming into a an experience and you're gonna go away for two hours and get to get away from your life and enjoy this romantic cynical in a sense broken heart romance but it was it was a journey and like you said there was the 70s and disco was starting to really knock the doors down but this record is danceable even though you know prior with Eno there was a little more experimenting the the tones were there it still was an experimental record for British rock music yeah and they did tour America and do some uh you know I, I think it was a theater tour which is perfectly set and suited for them. And when Jane's did a theater tour, we showed up for soundcheck and we were loving it. What a beautiful theater. But halfway through the show, we're like, there's all seats. There's no GA. This is killing me, man. Like, you know, let's pull the seats out and have a party because that theater will will, will keep people in their seats. But, But Roxy Music, perfectly suited for a theater tour. Absolutely. This is, you know, Kennedy said, I think that is what's so interesting about about Roxy Music, from what I know, is is it's it's art. It's like when music, all everything's art. But this is art. This is art. This is for real. This is a painting. You might not get it right away, but after a couple listens, you're like, oh wow, I see it. I feel it. Um, you know, absolutely. But this one, this one in particular, because uh, the other record that we did, uh, fuck, I can't. For your pleasure, that one, yeah. I I didn't. It didn't hit me right away. This one, the first time I heard it, I was like, dude. I mean, it opens with "Love Is the Drug." Hey there, I am Johnny Christ from Avenged Sevenfold, and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians, everything in between. I'm just looking to make some friends and have a good time doing it. So if that sounds like something you're into, go check out Drinks with Johnny, streaming everywhere now. Hey, this is Dewey Halpas, host of Peer Pleasure on the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Join me each week as I explore another long-form conversation with one of your favorite musicians, actors, comedians, or creatives. From Chino Moreno of the Deftones, John Gorley of Portugal the Man, to Fat Mike from No Effects, and Ian Mackay from Fugazi and Minor Threat, we go all over the map. From Fallout Boy to Slayer, Peer Pleasure has it all. Check us out now on Sound Talent Media. So let's dive into that. All right, so... Love is a Drug, it opens a record, it's the first single, uh, was originally a slow Andy McKay instrumental, and it went to number two in the UK and became their only top 40 hit in America, reaching number 30. I already told you, this could have come out now. Uh, that's how good this song is, that yeah. it just transcends 70s, 80s, 90s, 60s. It's just current. It's so good. Oh, can't you see?
I found this online. Uh, comparing romantic longings with those of drug users is a classic trope in popular music. Going back to Love Jones and you're getting to be a habit with me. Uh, this is what the part that I thought was interesting. Considering that love actually does cause the production of mind-altering chemicals, uh, this is perhaps unsurprising. It, it makes perfect sense because we do stupid shit when we're in love. Well, right? this this is great. Uh, one more point on that. Sweet. Love is like oxygen. Uh, come on. Now that's yeah, the, dude. That is right there. But, you know, I was talking to my son and he believes only in science. He doesn't believe there's a God. He's 11. And I said, look, you love mom and dad, but you can't scientifically prove love. Not everything is proved with science, man. And not that I'm saying I believe or don't believe in God, but don't make your choice yet because when you fall in love, it's different than loving mom and dad. You'll feel this love, this pain and this pleasure and this pull, but there's no science to it, but you're right. It does chemically change you. Changes. I've done stupid <laughs> shit. I remember one time I, I called this girl. This is back before cell phones. I called this girl's house 50 times in a row because I was like, nobody was home and I, I didn't have an answering machine. And I mean, if she would have seen that, well, she probably did see it because we never hung out again. I mean, yeah. maybe they did have a caller ID. <laughs> Jeez. Well, I, got a, I've got a romance with my drumsticks in my hands. And now this last 12 months of this COVID hell, I've reintroduced this love affair of sitting behind a drum set and just practicing rudiments. It's almost like a basketball player who's a pro, but just does free throws and never has a game. Yeah. You, you practice the hand-eye coordination and there's a romance to figuring out how the ball goes perfectly in as a swish, as a swish. But at the same time, the game is when that urgency and that the competitive stuff comes out. And that's when it all comes into play. That's being on stage. But there is this romance you have if you can find an art that you love or a, a sport or a girl and it's so important to get it right. And, and, you know, that's a, and it's a great accomplishment to put that into a lyric and put it into a song and for the song to live on. And I've got a band with Gilby Clark called Halloween Jack. We actually do cover love is a drug. Nice. A little more, a little more muscle into it. And we sped it up a little because, you know, we don't want to replicate the great one. And if you don't make it different, what's what's the point? But it, the, the lyrics really catch fire when you're in a band that plays it and you have to listen to it and play to it, not just enjoy it as a as a, you know, a listener, but be a, a actually a component to making the song great. Yeah, I and love that. I remember hearing Ringo Starr say it's not just about the song. What are the lyrics? And that's why. As a kid, you say you play for the song. And as a kid, I, I didn't know what that meant. But if you read the lyrics, it makes perfect sense. You play for the song. You play for what the point is. What's the subject matter? What's what's the theory? What's the philosophy of this tune? Why are we playing it? And Love is the Drug is a perfect example, man. Yeah, dude. Uh, I want to talk about drugs, though. So there's really no way to talk about some of your previous projects without kind of bringing that subject up. But you never really seem to be about that world. So what I want to know is how did you avoid it or did you just survive it on the down low? Well, I really was good at avoiding some of the, the alleys that my friends and band members went down. Okay. Sure. But I'm, I was always obsessed with this stamina, athletic, 
endurance contest I had with myself. I wanted every show to be great as a drummer, as an athlete. And I always thought, if I can think it, but my hands and feet can't play it, and what's the point of thinking it? So there was this chase I had with myself to get better every night and never overdo it, never step on the song, but try new ideas and never be dull or numb to this creative experience. And I, I grew up in a family that stayed together. My parents were together for 50 years. I wasn't escaping any pain. I was a drummer in Jane's Addiction at 17, and it all was just a perfect dream come true. Yeah. So it was, uh, and it was hard to see my friends and family and, and band members go down those alleys and, and see not only the pleasure, but the pain of it. And, and to see the, in a sense, there's no tunnel you can get out of it. You have to, you have to like dig and dig and dig. There's really no way out until you make the choice. Enough is enough. And so I, I never really wanted to go there, but I, I enjoyed watching my friends get really high. And then I, <laughs> then I got really sad when I saw them coming out of it, you know, and yeah. I, I, I was there for them. Never judgment. If someone gets overweight, you don't judge them. You help them stop eating. If someone yeah. gets stuck out, no judgment, just try to help them get off it, you know? And, the, the real bummer is the, the amount of work you could do if you're not fucked up. But, you know, that's the way things rolled, man. And, and it's true. Pornful Pyros and Jane's Addiction and, and a lot of other bands I work with, it's tempting to get high and, and hang out all day because you don't have a day job. Your job's 9 to 5, 9 p.m. to 5 a.m. It's a different 9 to 5, you know? Yeah. And, and, and people offer you these great substances to kind of alter you, but it is about changing your perception when you create, but not escaping it. And I never needed to escape anything, but I did like to get into a room and turn the lights out, light some candles and just kind of get the tip of the iceberg of those things and see where the creative flow goes, but never yeah. wanted to interfere with my performance and, and that communication between my thought and how, the music should sound and if my hands and feet could they can they pull it off that yeah. was so important to me oh i i'm the same way i for years i used to smoke pot and then go on stage and sometimes it was the greatest thing ever and i was super funny and i was on point and hilarious and then other times i self-sabotaged yeah. and you know, like like you said it's like dude we get high off a plane you know i know when you're in a full room or you're not even a full room when you're just jamming with your homies in the studio it's there's a connection and energy that you get in music and in comedy when I'm talking to, with the audience, that is a drug. So why would I want to put something on top of that to not feel that? Now, that being said, uh, I did do really well when I used to take Oxycontin and go on stage. So, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's six and 12 is half a dozen, you know. Uh, Morty, is there anything you want to add about the song, bud? Yeah, according to Nile Rodgers, John Gustafson's bassline for this inspired Bernie Edwards' bassline for Sheik's Good Times, which we know was recreated in 79 for Rapper's Delight for the Sugar Hill Gang. So you could say in some small way, Roxy Music may have contributed to the birth of hip hop. Nah, they didn't. But I, I like that. I like trying to add it. It's like going with it. Let's let the black people have it, dude. Let them have something, finally. I love, Please. I love, like you said, I love tracing the roots of people and their music and what did Stuart Copeland listen to? Why does he play drums that way? What, what did, you know, how did Jamaican music happen? A, a combination of the Caribbean and African, but why is 
reggae is so different than anything else we've ever heard. Why is it that way? What are the roots? Where did they come from? And as a, dr a young drummer, it was about jazz drummers because I love the personalities and the conversation that drummers had with the other instruments with jazz. And then Motown happened and the instruments didn't need the conversation. They needed a clock. And the drummer became this, this, this anchor and it was separate to jazz. There was no conversing. It was just lay the pocket. And then rock and roll happened. And that's the conversation meets the clock. And you can hear Ringo and Charlie Watts and Ginger Baker and Mitch Mitchell tipping their hat to swing and jazz, but they're conversing with the instruments that are around them. Like John Coltrane and Elvin Jones having this incredible musical argument almost. And you can hear that with Mitch Mitchell and Jimi Hendrix. They're, they're, they're talking and they're shouting and they're listening and they're, they're bending and morphing. And so there's this great chase of where the roots are. Where does it come from? Why did it happen? And does it matter when you're enjoying the music? No, but it's a fascinating story. What that baseline turned into and who it inspired and what that poem did to another musician. And then you hear about, um, I think, you know, it's a blues, a blues riff. Did it come from the early 1900s or did it come from, you know, the, the 40s and 50s of Chicago? We don't know, but it, it, there's something that it feels like the blues. Yeah. No, I and, get it. Um, totally. And so totally. I love hearing that the roots changed and the, the baseline inspired other music. I can and, see that. Yeah, yeah, I could I, I could mean, see how know, this inspired that baseline because it, it's it's very very similar. Me and Navarro were loving Metallica and Iron Maiden when we were seventeen. Perry and Eric were about Joy Division and Bauhaus and Echo and Susie. That's the sound of Jane's Addiction. Is a bunch yeah. of people that had different record collections, and you know I love the songwriting and the presentation of. Susie and the Banshees, but I also love the chops of Iron Maiden and the fireworks of those of those those parts. And you know, I couldn't ignore any of it. And and as a musician, I started listening to music that wasn't rock and roll, African music, Baba Tundi Alatunji, uh, Indian tabla, Zakir Hussein, and listen to these rhythms that have nothing to do with rock and roll, and then implant them in a rock and roll. So when I heard a riff. Okay, what would Phil Rudd from ACDC play? Or what would Baba Tunji Alatunji play? Baba Tunji, Baba Tunji. I love that, saying that. That's, that's what I would start to play. Like Mound <laughs> Song, Ain't No Right. Some of the tribal stuff in Three Days was inspired by African drummers. And then some of the straighter stuff inspired by, you know, what Phil Rudd, what ACDC, the meat and potatoes of just no nonsense power. Yeah. You know? Dig, dig it, dude. I love that. I just, I just, I just love that, that you're fucking with Metallica and Iron Maiden. How great would that have been if, if Perry would have gone on stage with flamethrower arms like Bruce Dickinson? <laughs> I just saw him, dude. It was, I was like, this motherfucker, they got a plane above him. He's like, <laughs> run to the <laughs> craziest show I've ever seen. I've never felt safer with the audience, but yeah. who knows? We, we could have. Could have been a uh, fucking bomb in, in, in the show. All right. Uh, end of the line. So Brian mm. takes his heartbreak for a walk in the rain. This features some very lovely violin from Eddie Jobson. Uh, best part is the outro. Uh, I want to play it because uh, dude, this band is, I, I honestly think we need to call Roxy Music the king of outros. I'd be waiting at the end. 
There are so many great moments on this record, but but this one just does it for me. I don't know, Morty, maybe you can correct me, but I, I feel like they're writing in a very like modal structure. Do you know what I mean? Like it's almost like they're writing it in parts and then blending it together, kind of like kind of like smile sessions. Yeah, well, that's why because the band, like as Stephen was saying, the band usually worked on the music, and then Brian would leave and he would write the lyrics based on what he felt from the music. And then when he came back, he would he would basically the band would hear what the hell the songs were after they'd been working on them. So they were just assuming. This must be how it goes. Then they would hear the lyric, the melody that he finally put over it. So they wouldn't even know really necessarily what the song was, what it was called, what it was about, or even wow. what it sounded like till they heard, you know, <laughs> him go to the microphone and they were like, oh, you know, like, oh, okay, that's the song we've been working on for the last week. And I, so I also cool. heard that he would take his time where they would think we're done, but no lyrics. Yeah. Okay, he's got some of the lyrics, but not the complete melody. And you don't rush those things. It's supposed to come out in September. Well, it comes out in October, guys, because we're not done yet. I love and that. that. And that, you know, you don't rush it because once you're done, you can put it to bed. But if you rush it, then you can never listen to it with love. You always think, I could have, I should have, you know? And, and that's, a, that's a terrible feeling when you don't get to take your time. But also some of those great songs were written in one hour. And they they last for a hundred years, and but some songs take a little more caressing. Yeah. And um, you hear about the Beatles; they cut Strawberry Fields twenty six times. And as a young man, I thought that's why. But now I get it. Different tempos, different moments, different arrangements, different outro, and that those those outros. James would always pay close attention to the bridge. We got a verse, we got a chorus, we got a solo. Where is the bridge going to take you? And literally. It's going to take you from one place to another. It's a bridge. Yeah. And we would pay close attention to our bridges. And you get, you're right. Those outros, they set a whole nother theme and it's a, it's cinematic and it puts you in a place where you don't want it to end. It, yeah, you know, just take me there. Dude. I, so I, after doing a little bit of research, I think there's a lot of parallels between Roxy and Jane in that right mm as they were breaking through with a lot of mainstream success, both bands, Jane's included, took a long hiatus. So, <laughs> so, so it's like after the first Lollapalooza tour, which, which Perry founded and Jane's addiction headlined, you guys broke up. And, you know, although you kind of carried on doing the stuff with uh, infectious grooves and you did a side project uh, with Mike from suicidal tendencies. And then yes. a couple years later with Perry and porno for pyros, Jane's music, and legend basically helped create the alternative scene. So like to a degree, I think grunge started when your ripples hit the Pacific Northwest. Absolutely. So, so I, I always think of Jane's addiction as the soil that the beautiful flowers of the pumpkins and tool and rage and Alice and Soundgarden, they grew out of that soil. And when you look at a flower, you don't think about the soil. You smell it and look at the beauty of it but it had to come out of fertile soil. Yeah. We are fertilizer. Jay's addiction <laughs> is, the, is the fertilizer for great music. And I, I, definitely, I definitely love that, that we did plant the, we, we, you know, churned up the soil. And in the eighties, there was a lot of great rock and roll, but a lot of it was like this cookie cutter replica stuff. And, and Jane's was uh, this great hybrid of a bunch of different 
bands in a sense. You could have a Cure poster and a Metallica poster. That would be a James Addiction fan. And and there really was the black lipstick, but also a denim leather <laughs> denim and leather vest. And that was okay. That was what James kind of brought together. But you're right with Roxy. There, you know, if you break up because you've had it with each other or you put enough time into it and you want to try new things. I was very lucky because the day James broke up in Hawaii, Mike from Suicidal with Rob Trujillo, who's the bass player for Metallica now, they were at the show. I got off stage, we broke up, and they said, Infectious Grooves just got a tour with Ozzy, the No More Tears tour. So within 10 minutes, I was in a new band. So <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I was heartbroken, but then again, I was out on tour with Zach Wilde and Mike yeah, Agnes from Dallas and the great drummer, Randy Castillo, who's passed on. Ozzy had a great band, the No More Tears band. Yeah. And I was surrounded not only by new musicians, but a, a new audience, which was a metal audience, yeah. which was completely different than the Jane's Lollapalooza tour with Butthole Surfers and Henry Rollins and Body Count and Susie and Nine Shales. These, I was on tour with Ozzy and it was a full metal tour and great musicians and great music fans. But it, I was saved by, by those guys by my heartbreak was healed pretty quickly by joining a band that afternoon, right after the show ended, I was in a band. Okay. And then Perry, <laughs> we talked about porno. We were going to get to it, but Perry needed a year or two off. And I didn't, I needed to keep playing. I'm that athletic drummer. Yeah. That to play. And who knows what it would happen if I had nothing to go to right after we broke up, but sure, dude. Yeah. Sure. But that, thank you for comparing Jane's to what Roxy did and to reminding me of what Jane's did for the scene and it's true you throw a little pebble in a in a lake the ripples might not be huge but they, they go all the way to the, the edge ripples yeah you know or yeah, if you dude. add a tiny drip of blue ink to a glass of water it goes blue it might not be a royal blue but at the tint we yeah. tinted we tinted the glass of water <laughs> oh 100 yeah, yeah. you tinted it yeah. One Hit Thunder is a podcast where we both celebrate and have a good laugh about bands and artists that had just one hit that we all know. Each week, we're joined by a guest from the world of music or comedy to learn more than you ever thought you would about some songs that you can't forget. And we decide if they brought the One Hit Thunder or were nothing more than a one hit blunder. Look, if you listen to the show, you're probably going to laugh and I guarantee you're going to crush next time the bar has music trivia. Tag Team, Jane Child, Meredith Brooks, Looking Glass, Sean Mullins, Eiffel 65, EMF, Crash Test Dummies, Crazy Town, Chumbawamba. We have hundreds of episodes in our back catalog and a new episode each week. So pass the duchy, make sure you're connected, and subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods. Um, all right. Anything you want to add, Morty? Yeah, quickly, Concrete Blonde did a cover of this in 93, and their drummer at the time happened to be... Roxy Music's Paul Thompson. Oh, little Paul him. Thompson. Yeah. Little Polly Thompson. Interesting. Right. Sentimental yeah. Fool. So this sounds like a Roxy Music song. Uh, JT, play 228 if you can. It's got such a Eno like I don't know. It's just the 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 the, the essence of Eno. 
is 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 in that moment. That's the that's the fucking Roxy music that I heard on For Your Pleasure. Uh, but that's what's so great about this album is that they can do that and still have all this like pop shit because then it comes in, it kicks in in a few moments after this, and then it's right back to that new sound off that pop record I'm talking about. Yeah. Uh, so and what a what a vocal performance! What a it's a it's a bird. It's a bird singing, and yeah. And it's great. And there's courage and there's 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 a lot of guts and bravery, but never sticking it down your throat, but just gently laying it on the line for the listener. Oh, and that, totally. that's hard to do, man. It's now you got to have, you know, you got to have big balls to be a sensitive person. <laughs> you know, like, sure. you, you really do. You got to put it out there and you can't be afraid of what people think or say. It's a feeling that he presented and the band completely it's so odd that the lyrics came later, but the band seems like they're completely union when the song was written. Uh, Jane's Addiction, my favorite moment is a song called Then She Did. It sounds like the song and the lyric and the production was all born at the same time. It wasn't put together. It came out. It came out as is. And it, of course it didn't. We worked on it. But when you listen to it, it just sounds like it was just born and that's what you hear with this song it's oh, just completely yeah. I, I love i love oh. that you said i love that you said it's like it's almost like heartbreaking it's just like yeah. you can hear the pain that he's singing about in this song and then you got uh you got phil's long guitar feedback intro you got andy uh andy's gorgeous sax solo <laughs> and then it's this dramatic ending that is completely epic it's mm -hmm. it's a really great song and it's definitely i think you're finding them like really in the zone um morty yeah. you want to yeah he walked, anything? this is they would open in 75 for this tour they would open with this so imagine them putting them right up in front like you were saying he comes out they start this long ass intro and he walks out in full falsetto and opens the show i mean that's putting your balls on the line that's not coming <laughs> out like rock and roll that's like coming out like music. You know, I mean, it's 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 definitely it's theater. Credit. It is oh, theater. Yeah. High yeah. high camp theater. High camp. It's Rocky Horror Picture Show, uh, except without it. throwing toast and rice and shit like that. All right, <laughs> I I just want to mention Whirlwind because because uh, th this is such a this is such a great song, and a lot of their fans felt like they were becoming less esoteric and arty, and I can see that from this song. Uh, play the clip, uh, JT. So this is this is pop rock. This is not some strange kimono music that they were used to hearing. You know what I mean? This is the anti-kimono music. What do you think? And well, I remember hearing that and going, "What band is this?" Yeah, it, it, it definitely. You know, and then when you hear it and you know you find out who it is, it makes sense. But it was one of those songs where it doesn't sound like what you would expect coming from them. And maybe, like you said, the fans were, you know, either on the left or the right of that. Like, I don't know if they dug it or not, but then they start to realize Roxy music is Roxy music. It's not a certain song or a certain production or a certain record. And that that song is, you know, especially I can hear it in a club or a discotheque back in the day with a good sound system. And like I was saying earlier, it just wraps you up. 
And, you know, and, uh, you know, I, I was kind of a shy guy. It was hard for me to ask a strange girl to dance and, and not an odd girl, but a stranger. Yeah. It was hard. <laughs> but, um, it comes later. That, that's the kind of song that I could feel comfortable saying, hey, you want to dance? Yeah, yeah but didn't they know? Yeah. But dude, first of all, you're big at 17, you're in Jane's addiction. Like, I mean, it's pretty easy to hit on a girl when you're <laughs> you're in some badass fucking, you know, Cali band. I mean, come on, dude. Come on. Well, they, you know, I realized with the band and even watching a band, if it's all boys, all girls, it doesn't matter, you see this great talent and and them putting them their the emotions on the on the stage. And, you know, MC5 and Iggy, I would think, man, those guys just leave it for us. And Alice Cooper, the, all the Detroit stuff, they would leave it for the audience and probably limp back to their hotel room and collapse because they give you everything. And with a band like Roxy Music, it's not like the MC5 or Iggy where they're pounding it, but the same thing. They give it to you complete. And, and it's completely their heart is on their line. Their emotions are on their sleeve. They wear it. And they say, take it or leave it. This is who we are. And that's that's remarkable, um, you know, in a sense, an achievement for any band to be yeah. completely honest and never back away and never fraudulent, never, yeah. never faking it, you know, never a fake. We're always completely real and layers. Like I said earlier, the onion, you keep on peeling the onion. It's, it looks like an onion, but it, it, it gets spicier as you go in. Yeah. You know, I'm sorry, go on. No, I was going to say, like, you know, you guys had to leave it out on the out on the stage, man. I mean, just from like the song Stop, like you guys fucking rip that shit. Speaking of which, I was doing shows in Minnesota and they asked for some walk on music. I was like, yeah, play Stop. And I didn't tell them to to get to the to the gank, 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 gank. Oh, so they're got- like, give it up for Josh Adam Myers. And it's like, come on, it's my ornis. needs us, but it's Kermo. But gank, gank. Then by that, once it got to the gank, I had already walked to the stage and grabbed the mic. Exactly. Fucking nuts, You know what dude. I love about uh, Perry's lyrics? Stop is so relevant. It's about the environment. No one's leaving. It's about racism. You know, ain't no right is about S and M, and I love it because his lyrics are timeless, and they're poems. And stop doesn't have a chorus. It's got two verses, a guitar solo, a long bridge in halftime, and then a vocal break. Sing along with the TV. There's yeah. no chorus. It's yeah, just you're right. Poem. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, uh, it's a but, poem. The song it's... that needed, uh, the lyrics needed a song, and the song needed the lyrics, and it's a poem about the environment and, and being good to mother nature. That's how I interpret it. Well, you know? Perry cares, dude. Perry, listen, uh, when we were at his house, you know, it's it's before the election. Perry felt, he feels the pain of the world. That's the only way to put it. He cares. And yeah. so that that makes me feel good to know that stop is about that. Cause I just thought it fucking just ripped. You know what I mean? You don't like, I don't care what he's telling me to stop, but I, I'll stop, but I'm not going to stop listening to this shit. It's badass. Yeah, well, you know, and then the Ted just admitted nothing shocking and the images of, of what you get on TV back then in the late 80s. But think about it now, what all of us have in our hand, this computer, this encyclopedia, this social platform where everyone's got their own TV show. And, you know, you remember the, the video called Faces of Death? Oh, yeah, dude. Uh, so <laughs> it was like it was like taboo if you got it. Now everyone's got Faces of Death on their phone. I mean, yeah, dude. Just, it, yeah. It, you know, and that that was hard to find. And it was like, get together and watch it with your buddies and then freak out for a week. 
Now it's just there everywhere. And my 11 year old, you know, can grab a phone and look up something in French that he's trying to transcribe because he's in a French school. And all of a sudden some kind of alert comes on about some horrible event and where people are being massacred. I'm like, Wait, give me the phone. They shouldn't yeah. be feeding this to everybody. No, but, 100, you know, 100%. It's here. We can't get away. You know, you and uh, you know, politics aside, the friction and the static we've had is just gnarly, man. And yeah. it's been really hard for anybody, especially young people. And I know they're going to come out of it stronger, smarter, and they're going to be able to be more technical because all the stuff that was here pre-COVID with the Zoom and the Google Meet, etc. Now it's it's a necessity. Back then it was a few people using it. Now everyone's got to understand how to use it which we ran into some problems this morning, this afternoon, but we got through. We got through but, it. But this yeah, is the other thing, too. This is the other thing, too, about something as beautiful as COVID is, uh, beautiful, as hard as COVID is, <laughs> beautiful things came out of it, knowing that we could get this, we could do this conversation from our homes, and it still sounds yeah. like we're in the same room together, and that some people never have to go back to an office again. That's obsolete. You can work from home. So Some good things did come of this. Now, Absolutely. Now, I only want to, I don't really want to talk a lot about She Sells, but mm -hmm. you mentioned, you mentioned Faces of Death. The clip I want to play from Seashells almost <laughs> sounds ah. like the, the music from Faces of Death. Uh, oh, JT, wow. JT, yes. play two minutes in, dude. Like people are dying, somebody's jumping off the building and they're playing like you know porno music from my dad's collection. Like it's like, are these people, these these Buddhist monks setting themselves on fire to the soundtrack to Debbie Does Dallas? Like, yeah, it's so amazing. Great it's, song. Yeah, you can do the pogo dance to that. Oh, for sure, dude. This this might she sells might be one of my favorite songs on the record. Once again, they they kill it with their outro. Do you have that, JT? modal sections is because that sounds completely different than that place that part that we just played and yeah. it rips it's so bomb it's not even funny it's 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 phenomenal that that they are the king of outros if yeah. bruce springsteen which i have dubbed the king of the bridge roxy music is the king of the outro i'm saying right. it here fleece army and you know what you're bringing up uh, rocky horror there is that sense of uh, glam and theater, but never for the wrong reason, just completely to help the story, to completely complete the story in the picture. And, you know, I remember seeing that movie over and over and, and feeling not only uh, is the, the acting and the imagery important, but you close your eyes, the music takes you there, even if you don't have to see it. Yeah. And that's, that's what they do with this music. It takes you to this world and it's, it's glamorous, but it's also dark. It's and, sad. It's yeah, melancholy yeah. and beautiful. Yeah. And it's, 
It's just, I was expecting with glam rock, you know, I have a friend, the booker, old booker of the comedy store, Adam Egan, who's obsessed with Brian uh, Ferry and Brian Eno and, and Mott the Hoople and all of these glam, which I don't even know if Mott is glam. Are they glam? Is that yeah, early records? Yes. Early time. records. Okay. But, but it's like, I've just been, I remember him listening to them in the office at the comedy store and I'm like, Ooh, who is this? And I always expected it to be this big, like, you know, the feather boas, the velvet gold mine that that movie. And it's like, this doesn't sound like that. And I don't, yeah. maybe I'm not seeing the images of what they did live, but I mean, this is like, this is Paul McCartney, John Lennon shit, dude. It's, it's fucking incredible. Yeah. Well, I remember, you know, yeah. and, and thinking about what it must've been like in the studio and you always imagine curtains and red velvet and, and candles and then you see a photo and it's just a white room with no vibe. How do they, how do they do it? But it's the people that are doing it. And this is a great story. I was uh, talking to Ozzy and he said, I heard, I told him, you know, a question. I heard you recorded at, you know, the same room the Beatles recorded at Abbey Road. What was it like? And he goes, the Beatles weren't there. <laughs> it was me and the engineer in a white room. We had to come up with the magic, man. I mean, the stories are there. The Beatles and, and Floyd and all these bands. And But the, it's what you bring. It's who you are. And the room is a room. And I was like, it's so cool. Because, yeah, the whole world is haunted. And the whole world is not safe. And then it's also very safe. And it's very pure. And it's all about what you do with your time. And I was like, I had to bring up my kid. I was talking about the... How, how time is relevant and, and what Einstein meant is if you kiss a girl for 10 seconds, it goes by quick. If you take a hot match and put it on your finger for 10 seconds, it goes by very slow. And it's all relevant. What do you do with your time? What do you do with your life? What do you, uh, a terribly boring day goes by so slow, but a very exciting day goes by like a snap. And it's the same amount of time. It's really relevant of like who you are, what you do with that time and how you you know, what you leave behind and what Roxy Music did at Air Studios. I can't imagine going there and feeling a vibe. You have to bring it. And that's what they did. They brought their own vibe and they put it on. a. And back then, a reel to reel, which is only 15 minutes long and it's virgin tape. You didn't want to record on tape that's already been used. So you got this virgin tape. So it's like that drummer piercing the silence. When they put that the recording down and the red light goes on, what do you do at that moment? And you don't want to say like today, everyone's going to Pro Tools and you can fix it. And it's a digital experience. And a producer is looking at the, at the tracks, not listening. Oh, it doesn't exactly match up. But yeah, but close your eyes. What's it feel like, man? Who cares what it looks like on the yeah. computer? And there was no computer then, man. It was like, the, it was about the feel and capturing the, that essence. And like you said, was there boas and lipstick? No, but it sounded like this, incredibly glamorous life with a sadness threaded through a hundred percent. Yeah. I it's, I love that you said that about Virgin tape there. It's, it's Morty said this a while ago and I was going to say it earlier is, is that, you know, you could look at your record collection, even your tape collection, even your CD collection, and you could be proud of it, but you can't be proud of your iTunes collection, you know, <laughs> your Spotify playlist. And I, and I agree with that. It's like, there's nothing to show off, but there's something beautiful about, yeah. about, but the old school. God, I'm an old man. 
Fuck. Sounds like we're, sounds like we're bro- born, uh, burning both ends. <laughs> Is that a segue? <laughs> um, Good work. All right, so I'm going to skip over. It could happen to me. I do want to talk about uh, both ends burning. Uh, So this is the second single. Brian said uh, we were on a punishing world tour schedule in 75 and there were a lot of late nights to get the Siren album finished on time. I guess this was the inspiration behind that song. And once again, the outro is fire. JT, play the outro. What's cool about that drum part i always like to take a, a drum beat that's on a drum set and put it in my lap with a djembe or a bongo and really examine the rhythm not the cymbal or the gate bass drum or the hat or what drums he's using but and it all comes down to african and yeah. even the ringo star and, and charlie Watt yeah. and ginger baker you put it in a djembe and you can feel the african pulse and i always thought about the environment and where music comes from. Like I was saying about the roots of music and the roots of musicians and what they listen to. And if you, if you think about these great African rhythms and then watch an elephant walk, it's where African rhythms come from. And if you go to New York and see the lights and the, and the streets full of people and listen to the drum beats that come out of there. And if you go anywhere and, and you can look around and see the environment and put it into the drum beats that come from there. And I love listening to British rock because in the 50s, rock and roll from America was a good time. And it was rocking around the clock and it was splishing, splashing in the bath. Yeah. Because it was Maybelline. And then, you know, post WW2, England was still in rubble. It was a wreck. And that's why the music sounds like that. They were, they had cities that were destroyed. So you hear Black Sabbath, you hear Cream. And it really wasn't until Vietnam when our people never came back. They came back in a silver box. And then you got the doors and you got Jefferson Airplane and Grateful Dead singing about the pain. Yeah. And then the rock and roll changed because we had something to sing about. And England had that immediately right after WW2. They were inspired by blues and early rock and roll from America. But the way they gave it back still had so much more pain. Oh, d- dude. And, you know, Bro, and, like guess, that's a good thing about COVID in a sense. What happens after COVID is great uh, novels and film and music and poetry because of the pain that we're going through. Yes, yes. I yeah. can't agree with you more about the sound that came out of England and still continues to come out. And you said something earlier, so I'm, I'm just going to, I forgot to bring it up then about what's appreciated in America and how something could be popular in England and not be popular here. I remember going to England uh, in like 2006. I was there for about three weeks. And I remember the Rack and Tours had just dropped their record, their first record. And right. it was the biggest thing 
in in the Virgin Record Store, whatever the record store was in in you know in downtown London, it was like I mean in America they would never have promoted that record the way they were promoting in England because we, they appreciate different music because of the weather, because of their feudal system, because of everything that they experience. Just like here in America, where we're a capitalistic community, you know, uh, hip hop is so big right now because that is what is kind of like the 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 sense of the world or has been while we were rocking before. COVID. So yeah, yeah dude, yeah. I, I couldn't agree with that more. And you, you put know, it perfectly. But Roxy Music, where they grew up, those band members, where they went to school, and you hear so much about art school and and more of a uh, you know, there was this this compression of art and and education that America doesn't embrace as much. And you can hear that intelligence in their music, but you also hear the pain of WW2 leaving their city a wreck or the pain of the seventies when the, the pistols happened and clash because the, the, the queen didn't care. And there was trash and, and rubble and rubbish piled up on each corner. And there was, you know, strikes, but they didn't do anything to fix it. And the people were like, well, we're going to just become anarchists because we can't take this anymore. Let's put it in the music, man. You know? For sure. For yeah. sure. Uh, Morty, is there anything you want to add? Uh, for, uh, no, both ends burning. I mean, this, this and love is a drug was on every set. Brian and the bands pretty much has ever played after. Deserves to be, deserves to be that outro, that outro. I would, I would fucking, I would kick my grandma in the titty to see that perform live. Is that what you think? Yeah. If you see Brian Ferry do a solo tour, he's going to put that in his set probably 99% of the time. Dude, I'm no, praying. Always. I'm praying that that they're gonna go on tour because every no, well, he is because you know post COVID, everybody wants to get out of their house. You know, I dude, I'm I bet you Oasis gets back together because <laughs> that's what I'm saying. I bet they get the fuck back together. All right, I want to skip over Nightingale. Let's just do the closer. Uh, just another high. Uh, mm. The first thing I noticed is the intro to me sounded a little bit like Layla. Uh, JT, play the intro. It's 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 really it's. Uh, did you hear what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. The the the, the yeah. coda the coda of Layla, the piano outro. Yes. Now, yes, yes, yes. Jim Gordon, the drummer, wrote that, and Jim is now in jail for chopping his mom. <laughs> is he really? Well, wait. Yeah. Jim Gordon also might have ripped it off of Rita Coolidge because that's, that's the true. other thing. That's the other thing they're saying. He killed his mom with a hammer. Yeah. yeah. Oh my yeah. god. Yeah. One of the great drummers, he was in Traffic and Steely Dan and many, many great acts. All Things Must Pass, one of our records. Oh, wow. Yeah. But um, he had a little- <laughs> You know what, his, his grandma was one of those things, huh? <laughs> what what they say, the, the trouble with Nigel? Yeah, you had, he had troubles. But um, <laughs> one of the great music, but I do hear that. And the, and it's, uh, it's, a great, it's a great way to end a record. I love, falling asleep to that last song and you know especially back in the day when you have a record player and you know it would it would the last song would kind of drift you off into bed and the needle would come off and go back into its handle and you wake up and you're like oh man i i went to sleep to that side b 
And that last song really took me there. Yeah. You know? Oh, dude, I I love that you said side B because I, in my opinion, besides love is the drug, uh, side B crushes it compared to side A, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, what a cool way you start the record about love being addictive, and it makes sense to almost end it with regret and shame of realizing that it's all about uh, chasing another high. I mean, mm. it's really fucking brilliant. And it's just, yeah. it, I mean, Brian's in familiar melancholy post breakup mode again on this. And like you said, it is a perfect way to end the record. And then of course, once again, fire outro JT play it. Just another We should just do a whole other episode with the where the four of us just listen to the record. And you know what's strange that Brian Eno wasn't there, and you can hear the Enoisms. Yeah. You know, and even the Bowieisms, and 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 like you said, some of that that glamorous, you know, Rocky Horror isms. I love isms, and and, it's, and you know, a few isms are very important to have. For and sure. These are, these are good isms, but there's that 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 sense of uh, experiment and, ex- and experience together. And, you know, I always wondered what they would be like at a big festival because I love the big festival because it's competitive between the musicians. When the Foo Fighters are playing and the Deftones are next, and then, you know, White Stripes are next, they're all putting on a better show. The audience gets a better show because it's this competitive spirit between bands. And you got four days of bands not everybody's there to see your band. They're there to see the other band on Sunday. You're playing Saturday. So what are you going to do with your time on stage? Hopefully you can grab them by the, the, the heart and by the balls. And, and I would love to see Roxy Music at a festival and see what they do by destroying the other band members on the other stages, you know? Yeah, I got to ask you this. Did, did, in, in a, did, did Jane's Addiction ever have like that one band? You're like, dude, we got to blow them off stage. You have like, it was like a, like a nice playful competition. Like... Did you have well, that? You, it's 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 always that playful competition's always in me, no matter what. And yeah, even I love, if I'm I love not, that. even if other band members are not playing that night, but I know they're in the audience. And there's a great feeling when you look at your guest list and you're like, oh my God, look who's here tonight. No, oh, this is I'm gonna I'm gonna do something special tonight. Yeah. And even though, you know, it's just as special as if they weren't there. But um Porno Papyros went on a tour, it was called the Big Day Out. But we called it the big day off because it's like two days a week and then you just hang out in Australia. But what a tour. Prodigy, Rage, uh, Elastica, Porno, a band called Tism, which stood for This Is The Shit, Man. And and that every night was one of those competitive things because, you know, Rage and Prodigy was just destroying people. And Porno was just kind of like surf band, you know? Yeah. Yeah, dudes about surfing and loving so our job was to really kind of tear it up in our own way and not let the the prodigy and the rage set you know destroy everybody to the point where they weren't ready to kind of surf the night away with us but yeah it's it's a great feeling to to compete with each other and that's also what happened in drumming for me when i went for those from the pillow to the snare drum to the drum set all these different levels then i joined the marching band and I thought I was a great drummer and I was surrounded by 10 drummers that did the same exact thing I did. 
I realized I wasn't so great. I had to step on the gas if I want to be first chair. And that competitive spirit still sticks with me, not to be better, but to be the best you can. And I compete with myself. And yeah. I'm explaining this to somebody, you know, a social media kills people because they're looking for the thumbs up and the heart and the likes. And I go, man, you don't want people to like you if you're making art. You want to piss people off, man. You yeah. know, you can't be liked by everybody. And I remember reading a review saying I was a great drummer and I believed it. And then I read a review that said I stunk. You know, like, well, if I believe the one that says I'm great, I got <laughs> one that says I stink. So I just believe in myself. I don't believe it. Man. I just don't believe it. And I don't engage when I get on socials. I just like to present positive, motivational drum parts and stories and pictures. But if I engage, I start to go down this, uh, should I believe it attitude? And I, yeah. I don't. I don't believe it, man. I don't count the likes or count the thumbs up or count the hearts. I just put the shit out there and put something else out there a couple hours later, you know? I fucking can't agree with you anymore. You said some really brilliant shit this episode, but dude, that is like nail on the fucking <laughs> head, man. Um, by the way, uh, Porto for Pyros can follow uh, Rage and Prodigy. You just got to open with Tahitian Moon. You open with yeah. Tahitian Moon. You guys, that song slaps. All right, Morty, hit us with some facts, brother. So the album cover features a then unknown Texas model named Jerry Hall, who's made up as this, you know, mythical siren. And after meeting Brian on the shoot, she quickly becomes his girlfriend for a few years. And then she's in a few of his music videos. And although they were engaged, she cheated with Mick Jagger, who she eventually very publicly left Brian for in 1977. That's okay. Yeah, that's okay. It's Mick Jagger. I if I'm Brian, you get you got five minutes to be mad, and then you see the catalog of Rolling Stones, and you go, okay, yeah, I get it. Broken. Yeah, imagine having your heart broken after you made a record about having your heart broken by the person on the cover. <laughs> oh my god, I didn't even fucking think of that, dude. Your heart. You know, it's like I can't even listen to this album that wasn't even about you because you're on the cover. Holy shit, dude! That yeah. is, dude, clip it's that a shit Mobius out. Stripper. Oh yeah, my dude. god. By I, eight, by and, uh, eight, what, yeah, sorry. What do you got? Well, I spent a great afternoon with uh Mick Jagger. It was um a day of music and he had a huge band and uh, I think the keyboard, organ, a rhythm guitar, electric guitar, horn section, bass, me on drums and Mick. And uh I I totally ignored every other musician and just played to Mick. I want to know Duh. what and I just was staring at his ass, making sure it moved all night. And that was that was my job, you know, make sure Mick was bouncing to my beat. And oh, I see that right butt moments, cheek moving. Those moments, man, I played with Lou Reed and Ozzy and Mick wow. and greats that you listen to when you're growing up and they're in a room playing with them. And you're never equal, but your job is to embrace the moment and not think about what they did, but think about what's happening in the moment. And it's really hard when you're surrounded by these great musicians, these great names, these legacies. But the most important thing is just to play in the moment and be present. It's like a tennis game. If you got to rally, you got to volley each other. You know, you can't be looking at the guy and, and get aced every time. You got to play. And that was a great lesson, playing with Mick and learning the, the importance of living in the moment, being in the moment, not tripping on the past or what's going to feel like tomorrow when I'm talking about it like now but what it was like in the moment. And that's just a, it's a great feeling. 
So I guess Jerry got a little of that too, Jerry Hall, in the moment. Dude, dude. Oh, you saw yeah. those butt cheeks move for sure, dude. She got satisfaction for sure. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. Hit us with another one. All right. Uh, let's see which one is a good one. Oh, this is a great one. Okay. In an interview with Playgirl magazine that summer, Ferry was asked, How does it feel to know that women look at your picture and masturbate? And he coolly answered, Actually, I'm very flattered. I just thought that's just he a didn't great know? Like, What do you say to that? <laughs> Bitchin'. You know, like, wait, I, JT, can you pull up a picture of Brian Ferry? I want to see if this guy is, you know, flick the bean worthy. Is that, is that, can I say that in 2021? Because I did. He's adorable. Um, is he sexy? He's, yeah, he's, is he's, he's guys. Yes. <laughs> it's like asking, they're asking three guys. Is Brian Ferry sexy? Come on. Come on. Look at that dude. He's James. Dude, Bond. he looks like George. Dude, he looks like George Lazenby from, uh, yeah. You James know, Bond. 90, not 902 and 0. James Bond. Yeah. yeah and 902 and 0. George Lazenby was in it. Service. You got a, you got a younger picture of him right there. Dude, look at him right there on the right. Mm-hmm. That's young. He's younger than a, I mean, young. come on, dude. He's, he looks like my assistant principal. Who pulled Jerry Hall. I mean, yeah, but, you know, we all saw how that ended. Yeah. <laughs> he was a good looking, he was a good looking Pope, He's a he great a, looking guy. I Listen, please, Army, if you're, if you know him, Brian, I'm sorry. Listen, you are gorgeous. Listen, and you are. Sh- yeah, there it is. Right there, dude. Yeah. Right there with the cigarette. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. He brought okay. Duran Duran. You see Duran Duran in him. You see where all no, of I that do. came from. Good point. You know? Yeah, it's all, you know, it's all I, the when ama- I, yeah. When I meet some great drummer, I've met a few that just take me to another level. I always tell them they're the master on the baits. Have you you do see you do see that Duran Duran confidence and that the style and the and the sense of like Come look at me and enjoy it while you do it. Dude, you, Stephen, if if you get a chance, man, and and this is all the Fleece Army listening, dude, re-listen to that. uh, If you haven't listened to the John Taylor uh, Roxy Music Mm. for Your Pleasure episode, dude, that guy, it it was just, it's so great. You know what I've noticed? And I think think everybody, uh, except for you, Stephen, because this is your first jam with us. um, Everybody, anybody we've had on for, for either Brian Eno or Roxy Music has been so fun and connected but also intelligent about being able to describe the album and describe the feelings with it and the technical shit of what they're doing so maybe mm-hmm. maybe this is like roxy music is like the men's of music right you gotta have an iq to, you gotta have an iq to understand it man you got 100 percent. uh all right morty you got one more yeah last one we got is in the film clip for love is the drug which became the music video you see all the time both the backup singers are dressed in these form-fitting vintage women's Royal Air Force uniforms. And Perry, a uh, fairy, I'm sorry, is in a military outfit as well. And he's wearing an eye patch. And most people assume that he's like in some weird quirky fashion thing. But actually it was covering a bandage because he had earlier walked into a door. So all of a sudden, now that's his shtick. And he's got a, everyone's like, now I'm wearing an eye patch to go see them play. <laughs> exactly. You know, we're that's all pirate chic now. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Do you have any injuries, uh, Stephen? Anything that happened to you while on stage you had to play through? Yeah, I mean, my heart's been broken many times on stage. <laughs> you know, I remember Perry had, we were doing a caught stealing and, uh, you know, Perry's like, I stole my hat. 
Hey, Navarro, what'd you steal? Dave, your girlfriend. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I started scratching my head. Is he talking to me? <laughs> and then, you know, they asked me what I stole. I stole the show. <laughs> Best answer. See, Best that's one, that's one of us. That's the schmaltz coming through. <laughs> there it is, can, dude. That's that's the borscht belt coming through. All right, let's do some let's do some rapid questions, and then we'll get you out of here, buddy. Okay. Sure. Uh, yeah. All right. Favorite song on the record, Stephen? Well, that's hard to say, man, because I guess "Love is the Love is the Drug" is the tune I've heard the most. Yeah. And I hear it more often than than any other. So. I guess that's the one that really pulls my heart because it makes me feel like I'm back then listening to the record for the first time. And then my band Halloween Jack with Gilby, we covered it. So, you know, I guess it's kind of like the default, but at the same time, that's the one that always makes me feel like the, and it's the first track in the record. So it feels like every time I hear it, I'm about to go listen to the brand new record again. So let's go with that, you know? And, And I love, like I said, those Timbali feels, and the drum and the drum ideas they're for sure sense. so yeah let's go for sure it. all right this is a trickier one uh least favorite song of the record or the song that you would skip over the most mm, she sells perfect all right now this is an even trickier one uh what song on this record would you fuck to mm. Mm. <laughs> well now oh which one wouldn't i Ah, your whole record. You're starting with love as a drug and then just and then just just there was a time lasting 30 to 40 seconds was my <laughs> my goal. Now it's now it's a 30 to 40 minute goal. Ah, you're turning into sting, dude. I like that. Okay. You don't want to ask Navarro about this one again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, last question. Uh, does this deserve to be on the 500 greatest albums list? And is it ranked accordingly? What's the ranking, JT? 374. Oh, oh. Glad, glad that, you're confident that's about the, that. that. <laughs> that's the appropriate number. Absolutely. Well, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. And you know what? It does. And then there's a reason when you think about critics and if they wrote a piece and what they rank something, where did they get this and how did they feel that day? And would they be different five years later or five years prior? Would they rank it somewhere else? But it is uh, this great 38, 42 minute piece of art. And absolutely. And, you know, you got to say Dark Side of the Moon and Sergeant Peppers and, you know, Zeppelin Four and whatever they are, the top five that are always there. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I mean, I, I definitely be- believe that this deserves to be on the list more than for your pleasure. Not saying for your pleasure doesn't deserve to be on it. I'm just saying it. This one is. This is a banger. Um, Stephen, I, I can't thank you enough for coming on, buddy. Uh, anything you want to promote? Uh, please do. Love and happiness, baby. That's it. I love that. Uh, Morty, Halloween Jack, Halloween <laughs> Jack, and Halloween Jack. Yeah, I got no, it. No, I got it. I've got a band. It's a, it's um, called Jane's Addiction. Oh, we should bring them up. We're going to do something. I, I think that it's time to get back to work when they lift their yeah. in North America. That's one way. And when they lift it all over the world. Let's go global. I love playing with those guys. When Perry says three, four, <laughs> it, it, nothing feels better than that for me. Um, but I have a band also with Nikolai from The Strokes. That's called Summer Moon. He's the bass player. Wow. That's a great experiment. It's us playing music and trying to capture this 
cinematic Roxy Music type of uh, feeling. It, it's a really cool band. And then I've got Think EXP, which is like a Pink Floyd immersive band. We call it Think Floyd. And that's got the saxophone player from Pink Floyd. His name's Scott Page. So, you know, I like to stay busy. Then with Mike Watt, I got a punk rock band called Hellride. Yeah. And Mike Watt. Mike Watt, dude, he's our guru for the, we've had him on the podcast. Uh, I think I got three words in the whole podcast, but (laughs) that motherfucker, I love him more than life itself. Yeah. He can talk and he's got great stories. And you ask him about, you know, flag and circle jerks and, and the germs. And he just lights up. He loves talking about punk rock. He's he's a great guy. D Boone, his birthday was April 1st. Yep. And uh, when I first met Mike Watt in 1986, James played with Firehose. This guy gets off the stage and gives me a bear hug. And he's like, I'm Watt, who are you? I said, I'm Perk. He's like, all right, Perk. And uh, we've been friends ever since, man. I love it. I love it. It's that's that that really warms my heart. Uh, Morty, you got any shout outs? Yeah, for this, um, uh, I'm going to give a shout out to one of our listeners, one of our one of our listeners, MC Small Fries, who's always so great to us. One of the Fleece Army. Uh, Go to B and Daddy Cartoons on Instagram. Follow me, uh, DJ Morty Coyle on Twitter and on Clubhouse and Fokker Force Five on Facebook. I'm singing Love is a Drug tomorrow night, and I'm going to throw in a Jane song tomorrow night. Nice. Yeah, check Just out Morty. I mean this to everybody listening, man. Check out Morty. Uh, if you can ever see him live at Canners or if you can watch it online right now, it's incredible. That's how we met, and he's you're, you're great, dude. Thank you are you, great. You know, you're a fucking lunatic. But you're oh, great. absolutely. Uh, JT, what do you got? At JT underscore podcast exec to uh, tweet. Instagram post, whatever. Uh, and then at <laughs> NC podcasts is the, the company next chapter podcast. We produce this show and we're starting with Shakespeare this Friday. We have Macbeth episode Ooh, one. This that's, Friday. You know, I'm excited about that, dude. Yeah, you know, I am the so excited. Uh, Steven, this has been great, man. Uh, I mean, this uh, love and happiness to you, brother. I, I can't thank you enough for taking time out to talk, bud. you got it. What I tell you, what I tell you, the one and only Stephen Perkins, ladies and gents. Follow him on Instagram at Stephen Perkins Drummer and on Twitter at Stephen Perkins. By the way, everybody, it's spelled Stephen, S-T-E-P-H-E-N. Also, check out a new documentary and concert film featuring interviews with Jane's Addiction, Perry Farrell, Dave Navarro, Stephen Perkins, and Chris Chaney, paired with a seven-song performance from the band's virtual Lollapalooza performance captured in the summer of 2020, and that is called Replay 2020. So check out that new documentary with Steven in it, and do what Steven said. Just spread love, man. Spread love. Be a good person and take care of yourself. I mean, that was the best That was the best post-show, like, credit shout-out ever. Just love yourselves. I love that. All right, now we listen to Roxy Music from 1975 for new music this week. We got Ladytron. Ladytron are a English electronic music band from Liverpool who would work with Bjork, Goldfrapp, and Nine Inch Nails. Their names were taken from the song Ladytron by Roxy Music. And Brian Eno said in 2009, Ladytron are, for me, the best of English pop music. And you are listening to Tower of Glass from their 2019 self-titled album. And if you want to find more links, go to our website, the500podcast.com. And if you were in a band or were directly influenced by one of these albums or artists and you want your music featured on the 500, send your song to 500podcast at gmail.com and make sure you put the album in honest that influenced you in the subject lane. Next week, 
Jefferson Airplane Week. Don't you want somebody to love? Don't you need somebody to love? Great part from the movie Cable Guy. Uh, we're going through their 1969 album, Volunteers. It's a good one, man. And if you haven't heard it yet, listen to it. You got homework to do, and we are taking a test. Listen to the record. Stay fleecy. Doogle doogle. Hi, this is Chad Nicefield. And this is Justin Press. We're the host of Making Waves, the Shiprock Podcast, a part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. We're inviting you to sail away with us on an epic journey in musical enlightenment. Every week, we bring you only the best artists in rock music and discuss everything from the cruise to the stage to the saga of being a professional recording artist. We'll have lots of special guests along the way, so tune in every week. Your stateroom is available every Monday morning, so welcome aboard. 
Hey, this is Chris Santos, host of Delirious Nomads, the Blacklight Media Podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Delirious Nomads is a podcast about all things heavy metal, as well as breakdowns of your favorite combat sports. And me being a chef and all, we'll be riffing on some food talk every week with very special guests from across the globe. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com. Next Chapter Podcasts.